Right now, humankind is on a crash course with Mother Nature, and there's no Planet B. Governments and mass media seem intent on sedating our urgency to act. The Disrupting Disaster podcast series will offer education, insight, interviews, and opportunities to act, and is proudly brought to you by Lush Digital Media. So welcome along to Disrupting Disaster episode three, as we look to see how our uh, attempts to uh, make some changes in this wonderful world of uh, climate change and the, the the dialogue that's going in on this space. And uh, Charlie's with me again today as we, we talk very uh, candidly about some of the developments over the past week, many of which have been uh, hugely disappointing from an Australian perspective. In fact, more than disappointing, uh, downright making us angry and uh, frustrated and uh, just totally holding our heads in uh, exasperation as we look to see what this government is trying to do uh, with regards to renewable energy and, and, and the issues faced by us all with climate change. Charlie, you've, you've had a busy day, you've had a busy, busy week. Yes, it's been hectic, but really well-timed as uh, I, I got some hope and faith renewed a little bit in our collective future. Uh, because, you know, some of the thought leaders at the World Student Environmental Network Global Summit, <laughs> hosted by Murdoch University, it's a little bit of a mouthful, um, you know, allowed for myself and over 60 international students who did attend the week-long events to um, you know, leave feeling that there is some hope despite frankly, the crap that Tony Abbott pulled this week with respect to the cuts in renewables. And and just to update everyone, in case you're not aware, Tony Abbott, the Australian Prime Minister, announced that the government had instructed the Clean Energy Finance Corporation to pull back from providing any finance to wind farms and also rooftop solar installations. And this come only weeks, really, after Tony Abbott said the following gems of insight to Alan Jones on national radio. And this is just included to give you some perspective on the matter. Well, one of the things that's on the agenda is a is a climate finance fund, and uh, we're not going to be making uh, any contributions to that. Uh, we are attempting to scale back the increase in our overseas aid commitments, and uh, that's why we won't be making uh, new commitments in this area. Uh, we're scaling back our commitments. and Just on wind farms, I mean, you're aware that everywhere uh, the community now are being threatened mm-hmm. by these things. Where do the public get a look mm-hmm. in here as to the damage this is doing mm-hmm. to these people from a health point of view, from an environmental point of view, plus the fact that they can't <coughs> survive without subsidies? And, Alan, if you drive down the Federal Highway from Goulburn to Canberra and you look it's at the Lake like George... Uh, Yes, there's an absolute forest of these things on the other side of the lake near Bungendore. So I absolutely understand why people are anxious about these things that are sprouting uh, um, like mushrooms all over the fields uh, of, our, of our country. I absolutely understand uh, the concerns that people have. Uh, and I also understand the difficulty because uh, while renewable power is, uh, is, is, a, is a very good idea uh, at one level... Um, you've got to have backups because uh, when mm. the wind doesn't blow, yeah. the sun doesn't shine, Absolutely. the power doesn't flow. So this is an obvious problem with uh, with renewable energy in the absence of much more sophisticated uh, battery technology than we have right now. Um, we are going to review the renewable energy uh, targets. Uh, uh, there was going to be a review anyway uh, next year, 
Uh, we're taking this review very seriously and one of the things that we'll be looking at is uh, uh, the impact of renewable energy on power prices because uh, not only is the carbon tax adding about 9% to everyone's power bills um, and, we want to, and we're going to get rid of that as quickly as we can, um, renewable energy targets are also significantly driving up power prices right now. So the carbon tax, which the former government put in place, was socialism masquerading as environmentalism. It was a great big new tax, a great big new bureaucracy, a great big new fund, uh, and, and right, so that's why it needs to go. And we want to get rid of the carbon tax. Uh, I'll be saying when I introduce the carbon tax repeal bill, this is my bill uh, to reduce your bills. Uh, uh, this is my bill to reduce... Uh, everyone else's bills. This is my bill to reduce the bill that you and your listeners pay, Alan, every time your power bill comes through. So, you know, considering he's running uh, Australia, it's pretty scary. Um, in fact, it's infuriating. Um, and it's safe to say that, you know, our current government here in Australia is going backwards when we so desperately need to be going forwards. Uh, James, I spoke with you earlier this week and, and you were ropeable about the latest development. More than Ropal, I, 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 yeah, I was. I was speechless. I was dumbfounded. People said, you know, can I talk to you? I said, I can't talk to anyone at the moment. I'm so angry. As you say, how can a decision to stop investment in what is going to be the future is astonishing. I mean, even if he doesn't like the idea of renewables, it is the future. It will happen. And Australia is being left out in, in, in the cold in every respect. It is an embarrassment. It is being laughed at around the world. Um, because of this archaic attitude, which is still based on uh, a, a fossil fuel um, investment policy. And it, it, it's, it's archaic. It's gone. It's moved on. The whole world has moved on to a point, but this, con this government hasn't. And when you get a direct attack like that, I was, I was furious. And I can't believe it. And, and I, so I'm really interested in how um, your conversations have gone this week because you've had an opportunity to talk with people who really are at the coalface, sorry, excuse the pun, but people who really are taking the battle on uh, and who are, have got real first-hand experience with, with how things lie at the moment, given that attack, that, that brutal attack from a government that is just, as I say, head in the sand. Yeah, Tony Abbott certainly came up once or twice, that's for sure. Uh, here's a short audio clip from one of the keynotes, Peter Newman, talking to the delegates. And Peter Newman is a professor of sustainability at Curtin University, and he's written 17 books and counting on the topic. And last year, he was awarded an Order of Australia for his contribution to urban design and sustainable transport. Peter Newman had uh, a great message, though. Have a listen. Tony Evans went to Rottnest Island, and he rode his bike around it and came past the windmill, which the wind turbine which um, provides half the power over there and he said it was ugly and unhealthy he couldn't stand the look of it on his bike it does have, seem to have a good link to the coal companies the reality is nobody's listening what who's going to not invest in renewables and put their money into coal because tony abbott says it doesn't I mean, so what, Tony? Um, <laughs> the, I mean, they can get in the way. And he's trying to close down the clean energy finance co company and saying, you mustn't invest in wind turbines. 
And Peter Newman's sentiment that Tony Abbott's war on renewables was echoed by many who agree that the reality is consumer power will be what drives change, uh, regardless of whatever Tony Abbott is and what isn't doing, which is comforting, but it doesn't really take away from the fact that what Tony Abbott and the government is doing is wrong. And, um, you know, the fact is that, you know, Australia's been governed by a lunatic who's who's pledging a, a war on renewables. And despite all the cuts and targets and in funding, the media remain fairly quiet. You know, quite frankly, in perspective, we've decided this week to obsess over, um, you know, that Australian Speaker Bronwyn Bishop's helicopter ride funded by taxpayers more than what we have with the continued cuts in renewables. And, you know, and I know you're the same, James, and that's what I find really frustrating because you know, not only is the media not covering it, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of pushback from the, the general Australian populace in being um, shocked by that. I mean, why aren't general Australians asking for better coverage on this? And, and why aren't we doing more to uh, be outraged that this is going on? I mean, what about in the UK, James? Has, has, um, has these cuts gained any coverage at all over there? Very little. It's the same. It's the same issue that we're facing here and in the UK. And it is an interesting one. And we've had this conversation before, Charlie. We don't know whether we're getting more angry with a government that is trying to do what it's doing and our, our, our um, inability to handle it, or whether we're more frustrated by the apathy that exists in the, in the country. And I think one of the issues is exactly that. The media doesn't seem to want to report on what is deemed a controversial subject. How, and I've said this before, how this is deemed to be a controversial subject is beyond me. Uh, there is nothing there is that is worthy of more discussion than the fact that this is the planet in which we're living in. This is the only planet in which we're living in. And therefore it should be part and, uh, and parcel of every conversation. So the fact that the media aren't really covering it in Australia is a major worry. And this is why there has to be something that, that tackles that and that dealt, deals with that. What did Scott Ludlam say about that and what he thought was the way forward? Listen, I had a really awesome chat with uh, Senator Scott Ludlam. Unfortunately, where we were recording, the wind was so chronic that all the audio that I have of that, that interview has been wrecked quite significantly. So I'm just going to include some of the things that he actually said uh, from that recording. And and when I proposed to him my frustration of the lack of, um, you know, outrage by uh, the general Australian public and, and the media, he uh, he said some interesting uh, comments and that perhaps maybe the progressive movements and communities are a little shell-shocked because there's a new act of stupidity uh, pretty much every week. Um, a new thing, whether you're working on, you know, clean energy or refugees or public transport, or agriculture or, you know, housing affordability, there's a new dumb thing that um, happens every week. And so possibly people, you know, are simply a little bit shell-shocked. Um, you know, he also mentioned that the government is trying to engineer a very powerful fear campaign. And James, you and I have spoken uh, about this before, uh, around national security. And uh, he believes that that's an attempt uh, to pull people behind Abbott, but, you know, that, it's, that he doesn't think it's working too well. And, uh, you know, his positive aspect and outlook to, to the recent things that have gone on is that if there was an election held tomorrow that the current government would be absolutely obliterated uh, because, you know, they're losing in the polls, they're not very popular, and people hate them. And uh, so I then asked him a little bit about the the uh, CEFC uh, allegations specifically and about his specific defence that 
the government is only pulling the funding because solar and wind have a commercial reality uh, whereas you know that that money should be spent in other technologies that that need r and d and um, he certainly agreed that that sentiment um, if it was true was was something that he supported um, but you know that there was something that was mentioned in the summit that perhaps what he was actually referring to was nuclear and um, you know Dudlam believed that it was interesting and and wasn't a hundred percent sure that you know, the government is going to be successful because, he, as he mentioned, the CEFC don't like being pushed around and they've got a quite good history of sticking up for themselves against acts of, as he calls it, repetitive stupidity. And I think for Abbott, we, you know, he mentioned that we shouldn't be surprised and this doesn't seem to be um, a particularly shocking thing for, for him to do considering his track record. Um, you know, he supports the fact that the basic premise that we should be supporting technologies that are emerging rather than ones that, you know, already at a commercialization, uh, he absolutely agrees in, but he doesn't believe that that's what's going on. And, and, you know, he sort of, he stated that if, if the government cared at all about emerging technology, that they wouldn't have cut the guts out of ARENA and ARENA was, you know, an, an agency that was set up for R&D. And it had quite a substantial budget for doing precisely that. And um, it, it basically took emerging good ideas that weren't commercial and pushed them closer to the market. But the government slashed it. And, and, he, and he said, you know, they've tried to destroy both of these agencies, both the arena and the CEFC, multiple times before. And so that he believed it was really hard to take seriously that they're actually doing anything different. Um, you know, let's call a spade a spade. They don't want it to exist. They have never done anything to really support green energy. And you heard from the man himself. He thinks it's an eyesore. You know, he talks of wind energy as if it's a coal-fired power station, which just is unbelievably stupid. I just, it's shocking. So, yeah, Ladlam had a lot of great things to say. I really do wish we could have included them, but unfortunately the audio was just terrible. Just finally, what... Um what was the atmosphere like um, when you were having these discussions and people were doing their talks? Was it of uh, a, a real pessimism or did you sense that no matter what the government does, this is the way forward and it will change? Overall, the summit was upbeat and positive, which was refreshing and exactly what I needed, quite frankly. So I, I haven't lost all hope. Um, and I guess I'd like to share a few exciting snippets of uh, information about renewables uh, that the former chief scientist of WA, Professor Lynn Beasley, presented to the delegates. And here's a little bit of the uh, news about renewables, certainly here in WA, that she had to, to let us know about. We have to look at how we can get energy in a way that protects the planet. Will it be kind? One of the largest wind farms in the Southern Hemisphere is right here in Western Australia with about 111 turbines in action. Uh, inland seems to work better than on the coast. We built most of the wind farms initially in coastal areas around the world, but often inland gives you more consistent winds, as we're discovering. But we clearly need new energy sources that are going to be friendly to the planet, that are going to connect back to what our planet can give us in a sustainable way to avoid using fossil fuels, which are clearly fueling the changes in our climate. And this gives us the opportunity to look at geothermal energy. And I want to suggest to you a way we might use it in a way you perhaps haven't thought of before. Because you'll know about using hot rocks, the shallow heat exchangers, 
going deeper down into our aquifers, extracting the warmth from the water there. The heat is generated not only by the initial heat of the planet when we formed 4.7 billion years ago, but also by the radioactivity that's taking place in the rocks down there, which is releasing heat. So when people say to me, do I think using nuclear energy is a jolly good idea? I say, well, using it geothermally is one great way to do it. But around the world, the potential for using geothermal energy doesn't go away when it, the wind stops, it doesn't go away when the sun goes down, I think is very exciting. And we're using it for things like heating swimming pools in Western Australia right now. But the way we're using geothermal energy is perhaps a way you haven't thought of, and that's to cool things down. So we have cool aquifers here in Western Australia, and what we can do is to pull the water up. It exists at about 21 degrees, and this is a new supercomputer. It's one of the 20th largest supercomputers in the world. It's right here, just down the road in Kensington, in uh, Perth itself, and it generates a lot of heat. Now, that's because computers are very fussy. They need to be around 24 degrees, and it gets a lot warmer than that in the summer here in Perth, I assure you. So we would have had energy bills of about $9 million a year had we used conventional sources of power to cool these computers. By using the cool aquifer water, we've cut that to less than a tenth. So thinking about using aquifers for cooling, because a lot of the world's energy is going into air conditioning to cool us down rather than heat us up, I think is an exciting possibility. And I'm going to talk about the power of waves, again to generate energy. Because nature is giving us this free sort of source of energy every time a wave crashes against our shore or propagates through our ocean. This shows you the wave energy potential around the world. Anybody surfers here? Anybody get a surfers? Let's see. Hands up if you're a surfer. Yes. Well, you will know to dodge a wave, you go under it. Okay. So one of the issues about developing wave power is that devices that live on the surface are very subject to waves that are too strong and can destroy them. What we've designed in Western Australia is a way of sitting underneath the waves but still benefiting from the swell. Okay, it's called the Perth Wave Energy Project. We're creating these large, what would you call them, canisters I suppose, which hover below the surface and are connected by what's really a very strong version of elastic to a pipeline on the seafloor. And as these buoys go up and down, they drive a pressure wave of water to shore. Now the first thing we did was to check the environmental sustainability in terms of we don't want whales and dolphins entangled in this, thank you. And in fact what happens is that these become nurseries for plants and then animals. So in fact they're encouraging uh, more ocean life, but nevertheless there are very regular checks to ensure that the sustainability in terms of the marine environment is taken into consideration. So what I really love about this is that you have the, the whole system to generate power happening on shore because that 
wave of water that's pumped to shore is driving turbines to produce electricity. And that's going into the grid. The lights you have on now, some of that will be from wave power. But the other great thing it does is, because this salt water that's being driven to shore is under pressure, you can force it through a desalination membrane and get desalinated water. Think of how many places around the globe would really like to get desalinated water at the same time as power, and doing so from the ocean. I think it's really exciting. So there you have some good news um, and some exciting technology developments from uh, Professor Lynn Beasley. And, you know, listening to her and, and people like Peter Newman and, and many of the other delegates, um, it did definitely leave me with some hope that, you know, renewables have the potential to, to save, quite frankly, the destruction of the planet. Uh, we just need to spread the word and, and, I guess, fight harder for their introduction and development uh, here in Australia but also around the world. Brilliant. Now, that's good, Charlie. I'm glad that you left with a little spring in your step, given the week that we've just had. That That is at least one positive. And interesting as well, as you say, coming from someone such an authority as Peter Newman, who you know, can, can be very serious with the stats that he reveals, but the fact that he's optimistic gives maybe us all hope. And that's what we'll continue with each week as we try and turn it to a positive each time. Thanks for going along today, Charlie. Thanks for going along and revealing how things are progressing. And um, let's hope we have a better week this coming week. My pleasure, James. And my departing suggestion for action, as we've promised we'll do each podcast, is to check out GetUp's Better Power campaign to save renewables. Uh, if you're in New South Wales or Victoria, there are specific links found on GetUp's website. And for anyone else, you can simply pledge to switch when Better Power comes to your state. Anyone outside of Australia listening, hopefully you're not governed by a coal-eating dinosaur that we are and uh, have great initiatives supporting renewable energies. But if you don't, we suggest getting on Google and looking for um, someone or you know an organisation to connect with who are campaigning for, for change in, this, in, in renewables. That's all for now. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and we'll be presenting a new episode next week. Ciao. You've been listening to Disrupting Disaster, proudly brought to you by Lush Digital Media. This is your journey too. Let's continue this conversation together. Until next week.